Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Reductibus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriart Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for. I am your host tonight, host of the moment, host of the evening. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Ann Sampson, and um, I am cohortless tonight, but that's okay because we have such an awesome guest that she just fills the space of the two missing guys like so well. It's like you won't even know they're gone. It doesn't even matter. It's like it was still like filled to the brim over here. So uh, tonight, as you as you know, we've been kind of going hog wild with our Briggs lately, have some just been having some amazing guests. This tonight is is no exception. Tonight in the Brig, we've got a triathlete. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath here. Triathlete, mountain biker, backpacker, black diamond skier, yoga enthusiast, actress, and author of the award-winning adventure thriller, The Last Cruise, and also the novel Lightning in My Wires. Her new one is the standalone contemporary novel, Called Life of Sin, Sin spelt C Y N. It's Caitlin Avery. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. All right. I'm so happy you're here finally. We know each other a little bit. We met like like a few years ago. Uh, and uh, it was interesting because, like, talking, you know, we, we don't talk too much, but I think we're just aware of each other's presence a lot on Facebook and that kind of a thing. And I see your posts all the time. And um, it was uh, it was right at the beginning, I think, of both of our author journeys. It's it seemed like based on our text conversation about I don't know six seven years ago or something like that. We met at this event, and uh, and you remembered that event, right? This was yeah, uh, definitely. I think that was out in Worcester at Annie's Bookstop. That's correct. Yeah, we had it was uh, it was this cool thing that they did for a while. Uh, Chris Golden and James A. Moore used to do these uh, coffee house writers group things and it was this really fun way that you know local authors could just kind of just kind of hang out and meet each other and you know talk shop for a while and it wasn't quite a readers group it was more of like a let's talk about the business of it all and it was just kind of neat and I I you know there was a lot of people that I'm still in contact today from that one weird day yeah and it's it's funny like I met Bracken McLeod that day I met uh a few people who are like very good friends today Paul McNamee he's been on the show um so welcome thank you no nobody cares about any of that but maybe it's interesting i don't know it's it's fun it's fun but anyway you are here not to talk about how we know each other because who cares you're here to talk about your awesome new book so um before we get into life of sin uh caitlin 
I'd love it if you want to talk about like you as a writer, what makes you tick? What what kind of stuff do you write? Uh, tell our audience, tell our retroids, as we call them. What kind of yeah, stuff do you do? I, I would love to. Writing has been part of my life since I learned to write. Um, I sort of half kid when I say that I set out to write my first book when I was six, but I actually had that book for a long time. And it was in a little blue composition book that I got from school and it was called The Ladybug and the Penny. Um, awesome. I, I did not finish it. I started it. And um, that was my first foray into trying to tell a good story. So um, when I was 10, I started getting into writing poetry. And it was really an outlet for me. Um, I was an overthinker. Yeah, big surprise, right? No writers are like that. <laughs> I'm always in my head. And I had trouble sleeping at night, um, more so, I think, in middle school. But I used writing as an outlet. And I literally was the kid with the flashlight underneath the covers writing because I wasn't supposed to still be awake. So I'd be sneaking it. And I wrote hundreds of poems through my teen years, never really even meant to, I didn't intend to share them even they were just kind of like ways for me to get stuff off my chest wow so um and then i let's see so I, I did publish a couple of poems in college and then i was an actress um as my principal focus in college i was a theater major i went out to la and i was a sag actress for 15 years Very not cool. really doing a whole lot of writing with a purpose out there aside from the fact that I would write biographies for every character that I prepared I would write long journal entries written from the character's point of view about sort of everything you know everything I could think of that would that would create a a full person um and then I was I was inspired to sit down and try writing uh you know, sort of a comprehensive story in the, it was actually the a memoir when I was in my late twenties, I decided to chronicle um, my experience of trying to find or become Mrs. Wright on the path to trying to find, uh, you know, good uh, mate, basically <laughs> good husband. Um, I had had a series of disastrous relationships and I realized that I was the common denominator and needed to, sort of get my shiz and gear. And um, I chronicled that that sort of year in the life of me trying to get better and be a better person and be, I don't know, more put together mentally. Um, so that was my very first book. It's not even that I set out to write a book when I first started writing it, but I quickly realized that that's what I was doing. And I published that when I wrote it in 2002, published it in 2010. Um, it took me a very long time to even figure out how to put it out in the world. And um, yeah, that was sort of what got me excited to publish. I so that, the, that was that that's lightning in my wires. That is lightning in my wires. It is right. a memoir. It's the story of my search for love and enlightenment, but it's really about me learning how to love myself unconditionally. I, I was basically, I don't know, I wasn't treating myself all that well back in the in those days. And so I had to kind of figure out how to reset my mm. my self-love game. Well, you know, you have you have really good titles. Um, this is something that I always notice certain people are like so incredibly good at their titles. And I really appreciate a good title. Lightning in My Wires is a hell of a title. And it really, especially where it's self-introspective and you're like, no, this is this is me, but this isn't what's wrong with me. This is just 
you know, I have lightning in my wires, you know, I, I'm just different. Yeah. Um, sounds like based on what you're saying and based on that title, but no, that, that is a, that is a hell of a title. Oh, thank you. It was actually the title of a poem that I wrote when I was a teenager. <laughs> and um, that's, it's a reference in the book. I, I basically call upon that poem and it was, yeah, it was basically about calming me myself, you know, trying to get a little mm. bit more, I don't know, Zen with my mental health and all that stuff. So. Nice. Um, so that was, that's your first one lightning in my wires. And then later, I remember when I met you, you were, um, promoting or working to release the last cruise. Yep. I think that was shortly, maybe after we met. So the mm -hmm. last cruise, um, I always equated with you and, uh, remembered that that was your book. And of course you have a play on words with the, the, the character's name is worked in a, as a play on words in this title and in the new one, life of sin as well. So you have the last cruise spelt C R U Z, but, yep. you know, you hear it and you're like, Oh, is it like crew? Like cruise, like on a ship? Is it the last cruise? No, no, no. It's, it's C R U Z. So well, cruise also cool. means cross in Spanish. So it, it represents um, the cross in Spanish. It cruise is one of the characters that brings the, the main characters down to some degree. And that's his last name is Commander Cruz. And it is also about a cruise, but on motorcycles. The women are off-roading down Baja on a vacation gone wrong, and they are riding motorcycles. Very cool. So I love it. So it's a triple entendre. Amazing. Can't even handle it. <laughs> uh, mind blown. So you're, you work a lot of your book, a lot of yourself into your books. This is obvious. Like we're on the book number two. And I happen to know because you mentioned it, um, you're way into motocross and you're way into biking. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, you're, you're a mountain biker. Uh, you're clearly a thrill seeker. You got yeah. black. You're like, no, I'm not going to say skier in my bio. I'm going to put black diamond skier <laughs> in my bio because <laughs> I'm a I'm a GD adrenaline drip. Yeah, right. Not, I'm just scratching the adverbs, but oh well. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. So so okay. So you had you know, lightning is my what in my wires is is self introspective. This is uh, some of you is in this right the mountain biking stuff. So is it just pure fun did you set out at the beginning to like you know i'm gonna write a mountain biking book or a motocross book well so what happened was i was actually very much into riding motorcycles in los angeles there was a period of time where i didn't have a car and i had a 9010 bike i rode a bmw so it's an enduro to some degree it's meant to go off road um and i rode um Quite often I rode with a group of women, which was a very unique scenario because when people are on their bikes, most people can't really tell man or woman. And it was always fun to ride up to, you know, one of the local hangouts, get off the bikes, pull off our helmets, and they realize that it's all chicks on the bikes. It's kind of unusual. Um, and so I, because of my sort of expertise in the field of motorcycling, as an actress, I got hired to work on the motocross scene for Charlie's Angels 2. And cool. it was um, basically, I, there were some elements to that scene that I really appreciated. The idea of a bunch of very sexy women, but also very badass women on motorcycles, tearing it up the way the men do. And it was all female oriented. Um, I 
the rest of the movie was kind of like, yeah, I was, I wasn't all that impressed with it. It's not a super serious story. Obviously it's kind of a joke to some degree, but um, yeah. it made me think, Oh wow, that would be a really cool adventure to tell in full. Like in the movie, it was just one scene, but I thought, what about writing a story about all, you know, just a group of females on motorcycles on tour doing something like that. And uh, so the concept was sort of the seed was planted and that's sort of how I decided to like delve into that more and, and write my first novel after my memoir. So. Oh, very cool. So it's all inspired by this, this one, this one scene you got to, you got to lend credence to, which is pretty cool. You're like yeah. the expert. That's pretty awesome. But Charlie's angels too. And so it's like, yeah, th this is a missed opportunity there's something here like yeah. we got to expand on this and i've thought that myself with certain things too where you're like you know you get this like just kernel of an idea from like a scene or something like that so that's that's pretty neat so where did it go from there so you started you're like okay i love i love this this overall idea we have these these badass chicks they're all bike riders just like me and my friends and and where did it go next? Like, so my first thought was book. all the things that could possibly go wrong if you're taking a long back road ride on motorcycles out where there's not a whole lot, you know, of help available. So th th that became, I actually wrote this, the first draft during NaNoWriMo. Oh, and yeah. I did not have an outline, but I had been thinking about it for quite some time when I sat down to write it. All I did for Nano was every morning I would open up my AAA manual. I had a, a basically an off-roading guide to Baja, Mexico, and I would sort of figure out logistically where it made sense for them to go next. And then based on sort of the terrain or the atmosphere, the city they were headed towards, I would then kind of figure out what the obstacles were going to be that day, you know, what was going to get in their way and cause mm -hmm. problems. Because the whole idea was it was going to be a vacation gone wrong. But the big issue at hand is that when they first get to Mexico, um, it becomes clear to the reader, but not necessarily, but not the main character, that that one of the women is down there for nefarious purposes. She is basically muling drugs. Oh. And that creates all kinds of problems for these ladies because they get in uh, sort of a bad... they piss off the cartel or the one woman does pisses off the cartel. And so then the cartel are coming after them as well as the federales. So it, and two of them are not really in on why they're being pursued and only one of them really knows. So it's um, a lot of secrets and lies and et cetera. Very cool. Yeah. You, you want to know if like one of your buddies is a mule up front. That's absolutely. A, that's an upfront sort of a detail. And a dangerous mule because she's actually using the product, which oh. is one of the worst case scenarios if you're trying to think straight. Is her name Jesse? <laughs> no, yeah. Reina is her name. And she, poor Reina, is just, yeah, she's off on a bad path, bringing yeah. everybody down around her. Oh, God damn it, Reina. You know, <laughs> uh, the only, the only Reina I know is pretty cool. So, I mean, oh. It's, it's not the name is is all I can really say. Yeah, I don't know any Reina's actually. I don't even. I, it's been so long. I don't even recall how I chose her name. To be honest, it's, with it's you. funny. It's funny when that happens. You're like, why did I? Yeah. Um, and just for the listening audience, uh, because you mentioned NaNoWriMo, and that is that is a that is not a word. 
That is not no. a word to most people. That's right. Um, so to let everybody in, because we're not gatekeepers here at uh, Retro at Octopus. Um, so NaNoWriMo is, it's short for National NA Novel NO Writing RW National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. And it's the month of November every year, and it's a whole thing. And the idea is to try to hit 50,000 words in the month of November to try to push people who have, you know, been on that cusp for a long time. And maybe they've been uh, like saying, Oh, you know, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to write that, that novel, that, that memoir, that whatever, that children's book, that whatever it is. And uh, well, I guess if you're writing a children's book, you're probably not going to hit the 50 K, but hey, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, as long as you get to the finish line, but the finish line, the goal is 50 K. So, and, and it just kind of tracks you, you sign up for it. And uh, actually I, I wrote my book, first novel that way too I oh, nice. the bone, yep uh the bone eater king i wrote uh it, not i didn't finish I, I i failed i failed but uh it was a good exercise that got me going you know so what i wrote year maybe, did you do? what year was your first one uh 2016 oh. i guess because okay. 17 is when i put it out so yeah 16 and then i wrote the first one and then i wrote a sequel in the year and i release them at the same time i don't know what i was doing i was just trying something and um it i wouldn't recommend it but anyway it's fine so yeah it's it's a it's a handy it's a handy thing and a lot of people are very successful at NaNoWriMo but uh, i personally think it's the best for people who are on that cusp yeah you know yeah i haven't needed it well i did use it a second time to write the sequel to the last cruise oh um that time it didn't work out as well for me but that i don't need to go into that I, that i'm working on that so did you hit did you hit the novel did you hit the 50k in the month of november for last oh, cruise yeah for, for last nice. cruise that was one of the coolest experience i've ever had because it was so organic and I was living and breathing that story the whole month. And like I said, I hadn't really planned exactly what was going to happen. It just kind of kept coming to me as, you know, basically the morning of, I would sort of get an idea about what was happening. And the ending, which is very dramatic and a, a big twist, mm -hmm. was a twist for me. I did not have any inclination that's where it was going to go until about two days beforehand when the idea came to me. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. That just, uh, and I, but I realized why I had to do it. And so I, I ran it. I love that. Yeah. So another, another writer term that we've talked about on the show with other guests, but you are clearly a pantser. Yeah. They call it pantser. Fly by the seat of your pants as you write rather than an outline person. Um, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really half and half. I'm very much cut, cut down the middle. I don't, I don't write out an outline, but I do have a trajectory, especially with short stories, but with novels. Yeah. They're, they're, they're more open. It's, it's like, sometimes I have like this just scene and I have absolutely no idea how to put that scene into anywhere. There's nothing connecting to it in my brain. It's just a matter of, nope, I need blah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, where am I going to put like in the second book I wrote, it was there was an elephant. I'm like, okay, there's there's going to be an elephant scene in this book because they take place in Africa. So I'm like, okay, no, I'm 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 doing an elephant for the second one. I had no idea. I went through like four different, you know, versions of where I could fit this elephant in, <laughs> and, and it's like it's funny, you know, how how it works. But so that's that's super interesting that you didn't even know the the finale no. until two days. 
before you wrote it. That's amazing. But that's also that's the best because you are excited about the process and about uncovering. And it's almost like you're discovering the book as you go every single day. That's- yeah, and I mean, what it boiled down to is that the main character, in order to complete her character arc, she had to be pushed up against the wall, and it never occurred to me, like I said, until I was finishing up the story, that what I needed to do, basically, and mm-hmm. it was kind of brutal, and um, but it it did the job, like it worked, it worked great for the story, for what I needed her to sort of, I don't know, witness, I guess, and um. <laughs> But it was shocking to me. I don't know. It was definitely not. It, it feels like it wasn't my idea. I, I I ran with it, but it wasn't necessarily my idea. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that thing that cliche that the the characters start to write themselves. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're just listening and being dictated to. And it, it's it's weird how many how many writers you know I've talked to about that and have that experience. Yeah, it's weird. It's a cliche, but it's true. It's I, I think I would say. It's true and should be true of really well-written fiction or anything because, you know, you understand the characters so well that they are on autopilot in your brain. You're like, no, I because like we've all watched shows and uh, read, you know, sometimes books go on for too many sequels. And, and, you know, eventually, you know, a a character we're going to we've all had this experience, I'm sure, where a character does something that that character would not do. (laughs) And you, as a fan of that thing, you're you're pissed. You're like, what the hell is this? There is no way that she would do that. There's yeah. no way that he would do that. There's no way. Like, I know for a fact this person is blah, 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 A, B, and C, and that is D. And uh, And I think that that's because up to that point, the characters were characterized very well, and then somebody screwed up. So if if they're on autopilot and they're they're like making the decisions for you, it just means that you did a really good job, you know, birthing them into into reality, basically. In and they're uh, they're just maintaining themselves. I wish my lawn would maintain itself. Yeah, that's right. That's um, that's always been sort of I don't know the thing that I feel like I have the the best handle on when it comes to developing a story is the character development Mm -hmm. and it dates back to when i was studying characters uh, you know to play in theater and or tv and film i would create these huge biographies i still do that with my characters that i write so basically when you know a character like the back of your hand even if they're extremely different from you you can put them into any scenario And you'll understand how they're going to react because acting is just reacting, right? Characters are just acting um, through their lives. And they're, so you give them a scenario and you, you basically know how they're going to react. And it might not be a reaction that most people would have or expect, but if it's right for the character, that can actually be really interesting, actually, if it's an unusual reaction, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if you've created a character who's not just, you know, well characterized, but unique, interesting, different. We love weirdos. Everybody loves a. Everybody loves to see somebody that they haven't seen a million times. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that's that is really great. Um. And it's good to know your strengths too. I mean, great. Uh, I think a well. Uh. I think a character piece can be exciting. It can be boring. Um. 
uh, well, I should say, uh, no, I said that wrong. It can be exciting. It can be slow. It can be fast. It can be, you know, quiet. As long as it's, uh, if the characters are really there, if the writing is there for the characters and the characterizations and stuff, and you're like all into it, then it's interesting. Yeah. No matter what is happening around it. I think that that's the most important element to anything. Like you can have a really interesting story with really wet blanket vanilla characters and it doesn't matter if this, the story was a good idea at all because it doesn't land and your your you know entrance into the world into the idea of whatever the story is is the character or the characters the cast and stuff like that there's been so many times i felt like you know this was a really good idea i don't know who to like here like mm. they're not there's nobody who's resonating with me at all in this in this cast or in this not actor wise but just character wise, you know, yeah. and sometimes shows boil down to that. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, you know, this is a cool show. I don't really care about any of these people. Oh, you have to care about them. And I think it's really interesting when the villains are written in such a way that you have, there's something maybe that you care about or you oh, have, yeah. you know, when you have empathy for them, um, even though they're despicable, like that's a really, I love that. Oh yeah, sympathetic villains are the best kind of villains. I mean, Absolutely, you... aren't we all? Aren't we all just a little bit of sympathetic villains ourselves? <laughs> yeah, I think the world at large sort of, uh, you know, really grasped onto Thanos in the the Marvel Infinity War movies because of that. You know, I mm. think that a lot of people will refer to the Thanos in in that movie, and it's really really interesting because I have no idea if you've ever read comics or anything like that, or I haven't really no care about. So, have you seen the movies? Not no. many, no. It's okay. It's no big deal. I'll boil it down for you. This Thanos guy, right? So he basically is saying like, well, you know, we only have finite amount of stuff in the universe and there's infinite people because we keep making more. So like, you know, we need to like, you know, snap away half of the people in the universe. Right. So he's like on a quest to like get this magic glove. We'll call it the magic glove. And it, uh, you know, it's like the it's like picture the rhinestone glove, the single rhinestone glove that Michael Jackson wore like that. Let's just say it looks like that. And yeah. then he, he gets this glove and he snaps it and everybody's gone. And uh, you're like, wow, you know, you kind of explain it that way. And I sort of kind of know what you're you're saying in the comics. It was very different. He uh, he was trying to impress a girl. Mm. Uh, he's like, I'll do something so big that the girl will pay attention to me. Um, and so, like, I remember reading that as a kid and I'm like, wow, this is kind of dumb. Like, like I was a kid and I'm like, well, that's the reason you're doing this. That's dumb. The first and thing that makes me think of is taxi driver. You know, the guy who tried to impress Jodie Foster by oh, shooting Reagan. <laughs> right. It's like, well, is that going to do the thing? Yeah, that's a little backwards way to impress somebody. But I mean, I guess in the comic book, he was trying to, you know, impress his girlfriend, his, his, his his pretty girl was the uh, the personification of death. So he's like, well, if I kill as, as many people as I possibly can, she'll be really impressed. And anyway, it's just really my point is that in the movie, they, they're like, okay, like this is not going to fly. That's not going to, nobody can connect to that. Like that's oh, yeah. just ridiculous. So we have to completely change it. And, and then it became this thing that people point to. Oh, really? Like, oh, well, the sympathetic villain, a lot of people would say Thanos nowadays. So yeah, that, yeah it's really, really cool. Um, you know, you stepped in the geek. You stepped in all the geek stuff. You you might get it on you. you oh, you that's come okay. On this show, bring it, bring you, it. It's possible. I would check your feet. You know, down in down in the brig, there's uh there's some puddles of 
of various types. Yeah, it is a little musty down here. Yeah. Well, you know, we pump that in for for the atmosphere. <laughs> um so all right, so the last cruise, I know I I don't know if uh whatever happened with this and I I hope this isn't a sore subject. I remember you saying when this was uh this had been out for a little while, you had also written the screenplay and you were trying to trying to get that made is this something you wanted to is this something oh, I'm, about? there is no question off limits okay. i don't you know I, I don't have any regrets my whole life has been filled with ups and downs de- lots of rejections lots of things that didn't work out and it's got all of it's gotten to me where i am gotten me to where i am right now which right. is a great place awesome. so i'm not going to complain about any of it um i did not have a screenplay written from the get-go i had because i was involved in Hollywood for some time. Um, after I published Last Cruise, a friend of mine read it on a flight um, and called me the minute he landed and said, this needs to be a movie. And I said, I couldn't agree more, you know, and basically in the negotiation process where he was basically asking if he could have the rights to shop it, I asked if I could write the screenplay. And that was basically a, fr- a writer friend of mine egged me on and said this is what you need to do because even if your screenplay isn't the one that gets made you'll get a writing credit so get Mm -hmm. it out there like you do it then they can run with it but at least you will have done the first draft and that's a good thing so that's what i did i wrote a screenplay now i had read hundreds of screenplays and i studied theater i studied the three-act structure okay obviously i'd written the book mm-hmm. and um i felt like i had some idea about how to do it and so i, I produced a 90 page screenplay and it was shopped for 18 months and it didn't wind up going anywhere now fast forward five years later another person approached me it was um somebody who was in production and he didn't know about the last cruise he contacted me and said i see you doing all this great work you know do you have any good ideas for a a film and i said as a matter of fact i have a whole screenplay written for this what i consider to be this excellent idea for an action-packed movie about sexy women sexy tough women And so he ran with it for a little while. And, you know, it's basically, I've never gotten the thorough, no, it's not going to happen, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen through that avenue at this point. It's Mm. been a little while, so... It's such a shame, but like, you know, never give up because, you know, you you hear a lot of these people who, you know, I mean, I know people, certainly not me, certainly not me, but, um, you know, people are like, yeah, no, that was, that was optioned like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's still a maybe. And then, you know, suddenly it happens. Like Jonathan Mayberry got his V V Wars show um after so long. And like, I don't know. It, look at Game of Thrones. Yeah. I mean, come on, Game of Thrones came out like a million years ago, you know. I mean, it just happens, but that is really cool. Cause you're telling me about this this book. And obviously I want to get to your new one. We're just kind of still on last cruise, but it's just it sounds so interesting. I would I it sounds like a movie to me. So and like, quite frankly, it would be a very cheap film to produce. So I know a little bit about how to, you know, what are advantages and disadvantages in production. Yeah. This could be a very low budget film because it basically takes place in the desert. You could shoot it in Los Angeles. I'm sorry, you could shoot it in the desert outside of Los Angeles, so you don't have to go to Mexico. Right. Um, 
there's one big scene in a prison that could be shot in an old school or something that we had already worked it through a lot of the sort of concepts of how to get this shot and in the can for a reasonable low budget price. Mm. Um, and it, it, it sort of is the perfect story to be told as a low budget feature because they tend to be a little grainy, a little rough around the edges. That is the feel of the story to begin with. So Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I could see this having like that uh like that 70s filter on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of when when a film tries to be a pastiche of a certain era. Oh yeah. And uh that's that's really cool. Did you uh of course you have thoughts on casting. I'll just ask. I mean Oh, this is the low hangingest fruit of possible interview questions. I Back when it was really being talked about the the first time around, you know, I had like Blake Lively was somebody I thought would be a perfect lead, but she's too old. Like she doesn't fit the character, the bill anymore. Mm. Um, the the main character is twenty five in the story, and the okay. young and the two others are are twenty and eighteen. They're young, so um, oh, Berega. Berega, I think it's called. I saw a little indie film last year. And I think it had come out maybe in 2019 or something. And it starred a young Spanish woman um, who rode a off-road motorcycle in the movie. And I thought, this is the perfect character. I can't recall her name, but I do have mm. a phone somewhere I stored it. Um, <laughs> so I could recall it someday. Now, again, that was a couple of years ago. She might be too old at this point for the role. She, she yeah. played an 18-year-old, so... Right, right. Yeah, if your your characters are that young, that's that's a little tougher. Yeah, it's you tough know, to find characters. Sliding can, scale. Yeah, and and obviously, well, they would have to have stunt women probably um, doing the very intense motorcycle stuff. But um, it's it would be hard to find, I think, a young woman who could play the role and potentially ride motorcycles. They're not they're not that many female riders in the grand scheme of things. I mean, could do you think at this point you would you would want to do a little bit of stunt riding for this for this film in a perfect world? I am totally not capable of stunt riding. You know, it's funny because I did ride off road in you know like I in the desert of Los Angeles. I rode off road in um, Death Valley some. That was cool. Oh, cool! But I took one motocross class with my husband, and it was when we first started dating. I got him into motorcycling. Um, and then he wanted to learn how to do more off, off road style. So we took a class and literally on the, it was like, we were an hour into this class and they were teaching us how to ride straight up a cliff, which I gave it too much gas when I tried it the first time. And I wound up at the top of the cliff. I kind of smacked the front tire down at the top of the cliff and I hit it so hard that I ended up in a handstand over the handlebars. <laughs> needless to say i also wound up in tears it scared the bejesus out of me i was like i don't want to do this <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i ended up falling over the bike fell down i didn't get hurt or anything but it just scared the hell out of me so that i was like oh, horrifying oh, yeah it was man. scary uh oof. i don't want to do that i don't want to do any of that i gotta tell you i do a lot of adventure stuff but i have a very healthy dose of fear i am yeah. not fearless I'm not fearless. I have a lot of practice skiing, so I can do some very tough skiing, but that's from a lot of practice. Not just skiing, black diamond skiing. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, f being fearless is uh, not a brag. It just means you're dumb. 
I mean, you know, some people just don't have that factor in their brain or something, but I have a very healthy dose of fear. So I'm not crazy. I'm not a lunatic when it comes to adventure. I like doing (laughs) stuff and pushing the limits a little bit. That's good. This all kind of reminds me of, um, have you ever seen the movie The Descent? The Descent feels like, I don't know how much you like horror movies, but it might be your kind of horror movie. I do like some horror movies. My favorite horror movie last year was X. Did you see that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was a brilliant. That was like an art house horror movie. It was, yeah. Did you see the sequel? I, I didn't know there was one. Yeah, they made Pearl, and then they're making. I think the third one's going to be Triple X. Oh, all right. Or no, no, no. The third one's Maxine, but it has three X's. That's what it is. Oh, okay. I'll have to look at Pearl. Maybe Pearl, I knew yeah, that. And I, I just seen didn't. Pearl. Yeah. Um, but the descent is the sort of energy that you're describing in. In the motocross, uh, you know, group of, you know, badass, sexy chicks, you know, just doing their thing. And and uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, climbers, mountain climbers, oh, okay. like, hey, like cave diver, mountain climbers. Um, anyway, there's monsters, but it's 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 a great flick. I, huh. I I've actually it. done quite a bit of rock climbing. I, I went to school in um, University of Colorado. So that was a big thing I was in. When I was in college, nice. there's no rock climbing really in Massachusetts. I mean, I guess there is a little bit, but yeah, it's not really... like Colorado. No, <laughs> that's that. I loved. I love Colorado. I, my wife and I went on a, a really great trip to Colorado and Utah, and it was just the rocks were amazing. All the parks were amazing. Oh, Utah um, is insane. I've actually mountain biked in red and um, what's it called? Uh, Moab. Yeah, that's and where I backpacked in Canyonlands where Arch or in yeah. Arches is not the same, but yeah, I've been to all those parks. It's really rad. So cool. Yeah, we we thought we were going to be cool. We're like, yeah, let's go and let's hike and we'll see like the arch that's like the famous arch that everybody sees on postcards and stuff. And I can't remember what that one's called, but it's like a specific arch. But there's like a billion arches out there. It's like a billion. But there's a one. There's like, and they know it's the one. They're like, okay, the one that you want, though, is hard to get to. And they're like, their warning signs are everywhere. They're like, okay, this is how much water... You need to have on your person right now. And if you don't have this this much water, turn around and don't do this. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there was also, you know, all these other things that they wanted you to make sure you had with you and do and had in mind. And we're like, um, yeah, we don't. We 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 are too soft. We can't do this. We, <laughs> we're ill prepared. We have no idea. Um, so we didn't see the the cool one that goes on the postcards. But anyway, it was a, it was it was a good time. Beautiful, beautiful land, beautiful country. Gorgeous. Um, so let's get into Life of Sin. So this is your your new one. Um, now I I had I had asked you if uh, y- if you wanted to do a reading, and there's no pressure. Is, is this something you? I'm happy about? to do a reading. Yeah, the, I write very short chapters. The whole first chapter is only about five minutes. So I don't know what how many minutes I can do less than that too. But ah, uh, five minutes is perfectly great. I mean, you could do he- hell. You know you want to read two chapters read two chapters if they're only five minutes each but i uh i definitely you know want to give you the option if you uh if you're into it it's yeah like it's you know no pressure i love reading it's like acting it's cool so um can i read the synopsis we'll both do a little reading i have the synopsis here uh from from the zon yeah go for it zon uh as the cool kids say uh so life of sin Some say life begins at 40. 
Sid McKinley hopes so since her former life is over. Home foreclosure, a cross-country move, and hidden drinking problem pretty much killed it. Being crushed by crippling anxiety doesn't help. When she discovers that her husband's new boss is the monster who raped her in high school, she spirals further down. Struggling to process this revelation, she conceals it from her husband because they need his job. Instead, she numbs her pain with too much wine, drives drunk, and her husband threatens to divorce her. She reluctantly quits drinking, hoping that will save her marriage. But clarity from sobriety brings something unexpected to sin, the need for justice or revenge. If only she can find a way to make the demon pay for the trauma that he, that he inflicted and the ripples it sent through her life, then maybe she'll find peace. So that is the synopsis available to everybody. Clearly, this is, you know, dealing with very serious topics. Um, so do you want to do you want to talk about the book a little bit before diving into a reading? It's really. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about yeah, it. That, yeah. I mean, that is where the hook is that my backstory yeah. is the hook. <laughs> All right. So this is another three for three. Another very personal book. A lot of you is in this book, I know. Um, it, if you'd like to talk about it, we're here. Yeah, so um, Life of Sin is basically a, a book that I had to write. I was in the middle of writing the sequel to The Last Cruise, and this story just would not leave me alone. It just kept knocking. You know, I'd go out for my dog walk, trying to basically think about what I was going to be writing that day, and this story would come to me. So basically the, the way it came to be is that in 2015, which was two years before the Me Too movement began on Twitter, I outed my high school rapist on Facebook and learned of nine other victims within a 24-hour period. Um, it basically caught fire among alumni. I had a pretty, I was pretty dialed in with a lot of alumni from my high school and, you know, word traveled and then word came back to me, all kinds of people contacting me about what they had experienced or people they knew had experienced. And so I then shared that online and the whole thing just blew up. People were very infuriated um, and they were extremely supportive of what I was doing. I was doing it for uh, a couple different reasons. The reason I did it in 2015 specifically is first, I had already known of two of the other victims for many years at, the, at that time. Um, and so I was living with this knowledge that I had been assaulted by somebody who had assaulted others. And I, it was, I knew that as a fact. Um, so what happened in 2015 was the Stanford rapist was convicted. Um, it was an open and shut case. He basically raped a girl behind a dumpster. Um, some witnesses saw him, beat him up, called the cops on him. So there was witnesses, there was evidence. It seemed like everything, you know, so often in rape cases, they don't have any of this stuff and they had it all. So the kid was found guilty and the judge essentially said, um, we, you know, I don't want to ruin this kid's life for one mistake. So I'm going to give him six months in prison. And then basically because he did good time or behaved well, he got out after three months. Oh. And that news 
just infuriated me it when he was convicted i was like yay finally you know something like this happens and then it just it just fell apart like the whole thing was so stupid in the end so i just thought okay if the law is not on our side even when everything is perfectly aligned then what are we supposed to do are we going to take it into our own hands which i had considered for many many years you know and wondering what little me could do about it so I sort of, sort of spontaneously, but it, I think I thought about it for a couple of days. I, I, I did learn that Lena Dun Dunham mm -hmm. from Girls, from mm -hmm. the HBO show, had also outed her rapist sometime around that time. And so I basically was like, okay, that's something that I could do. So I got on Facebook. I wrote a paragraph about what happened and what I suspected that there were others. And it turned out there were. So um, a bunch of ha things happened right away. People started talking about wanting to have a protest um, outside of his place of work. He has a very big job in the Boston area. He's a very successful businessman. And an, a reporter contacted me. Uh, somebody, I don't know, contacted the reporter to tell him what was going on. And he contacted me. He was with NECN, the New England Cable Network. He wanted to interview me. And that sort of freaked me out because I hadn't gone into this with the intention of like being a national or a, a Massachusetts, you know, uh, news. I just was trying to be Facebook news in my own little world, um, to get that news out. So the bottom line is I started kind of freaking out as to whether or not I was going to get in trouble. Um, I had used the guy's initials only. I hadn't used his full name at that point. And, but I was a little concerned. I didn't know the laws for libel and defamation and I, so um a lawyer actually reached out to me who said i believe in what you're doing i would like to support you and give you free advice free counsel if you're interested so i took him up on it he did assure me that it would be very unlikely i could be sued for libel because it was the truth i wasn't exaggerating or making up stories to hurt somebody it was actually a true story but he said at some point if you keep pushing if you keep pushing this guy up against the wall he'll have to react at some point and it might come in the form of like a cease and desist letter um but when he's he said whatever it is it's going to draw him into your life if you keep going after him you will pull him into your life so i want you to be prepared for that and that completely freaked me out <clears throat> i didn't have any interest in interacting with him at all um and to be honest, he lived in a neighboring town to mine. And I thought, well, if he comes after me, he could literally, he could literally come after me. Like he might just show up at my house at some point. So I started carrying a bat around in my car. And that was sort of representational where my head was at during that period. It was very overwhelming. And all these things put together is sort of why I spontaneously decided to shut the conversation down. Mm -hmm. I had no examples of anybody who had come before me who had done this and was successful at, you know, getting somebody in trouble. Um, I was being very overwhelmed with Me Too stories before they were even be called. They weren't called Me Too, but it was people contacting me to share their horror with me about what had happened to them. And it just became like, I was kind of an emotional mess. So I essentially said, you know what? I don't want to, I'm not interested in a protest. I don't want to do an interview. I came here to shame the guy, to validate other victims and to warn the community. And I think I'm done now. I, you know, like I, that's all, I'm all good. Now you guys know, do what you will with that information. And I shut it down. 
And this was over the course of about a week from the time I posted to the time I updated people about all the victims to the time I said, okay, that's it. So I did, I said at the beginning of this that I don't ever have regrets. I felt very dissatisfied with how everything came to an end, a dead end, even though it was me who did that. Like I was responsible for dead ending it, but it was very unsatisfactory. Um, it felt like a necessity, but I, it's not, it didn't please me the way it ended. And then me too started. And when me too started, I had mixed emotions. I was very supportive of what women were doing in their courage. I read a lot of the stories because I felt like it was important to be an ear for these, you know, first times the shares that people were sharing on Twitter. And, um, but I was, I was actually quite pissed knowing what had happened in my scenario that nothing really came of it to, to harm the guy. He wasn't in trouble at all. Um, he never paid for his sins, so to speak. So I, I just thought it, to some degree, the Me Too movement felt like um, not pointless. I won't use the term pointless, but I, I, I wanted more. I wanted more results to mm -hmm. either, you know, punish the guys who had committed crimes or at least change the future of how sex assault was or consent was dealt with in our country. So in trying to figure out what I could do with all my fury um, in a healthy manner to not go out and attack my assailant or something, I decided to rewrite my story literally to take sort of the themes of my own personal experience and turn it into a fictional story um, and exhibit a woman who goes after her rapist 20 years after the fact and manages to do everything that I wish we could have done to ours. So that's sort of how the concept of life of sin was born. My God, that is, uh, that is one way of processing. That's for sure. <laughs> it's been a process. Yes, definitely. <laughs> But I'm completely um, healed. Like at this point, the reason I can like crack up and talk about this as it's no big deal, it's not a big deal to me. Yeah. It doesn't upset me at all. Um, I'm so practiced at discussing it that it, to me, it just feels like I'm talking about my grocery list. I don't have an emotional attachment to any of the things that I discuss. You know, it's, it is just the facts and I share them. So, okay. Well, um, you know, it, it could have gone very differently. And you at the end of it, you processed what you needed to process. And at the same time, you created something beautiful. You created art, right? You have Yes. You have and this... I, it, the story is really meant to be very hopeful and inspiring for other survivors. Because whereas she goes after her rapist, that does not end up being the theme or the message of the story. It is a much more... Uh, the theme really is about learning how to clean up your side of the street when it comes to trauma so that your pain doesn't bleed all over everyone and ruin other lives. Okay. So this is not I Spit on Your Grave Part 3. There might be some elements of revenge. She definitely goes down that path. But one of the big themes also is sin is dealing with um, troubled drinking and trying to maybe quit drinking entirely but a lot of her emotions are being driven by this very emotional you know she's in kind of a a screwed up time period where she is 
trying to let go of an addiction and, you know, keeps sneaking back in again. So she's a bit of a mess and she's behaving badly in the beginning because of, of the mess that she's created in her own life, essentially. I mean, she just sounds very real. You know, you gave her uh, qualities that are unlikable in some parts, you know, with actual problems that people deal with. And, you know, she starts out, you know, you have the backstory of, something terrible that happened to her and maybe she wouldn't have made the decisions that she made without that. But the drinking is, you know, kind of on her, I guess. And she needs to obviously fix that internally. That's not an external fix. Um, I mean, that's really, that, that sounds really powerful to me. It's, it sounds, I mean, now I'm thinking that Sandra Bullock movie, 28 days. Mm great movie yeah yeah that was a good movie and Um, she's very unlikable at the beginning yeah like well sin sin is you know sin is really screwing up and i think that people are able to find empathy for her pretty quickly but she Mm. is not likable in the beginning she's definitely Mm. you you want people want to smack her up against the the head you know set to get her straight like cut the shit let's Mm. get yourself together here enough and if you if you force, <laughs> you like leave the reader no choice but to love her by the end of it or by partway through it, um, that is a deft skill. I, I hope that's the- what's happening. I mean, the bottom line is that Sin has is dealing with two very serious, dark issues that are extremely secretive in our society. Both of those things are things that most people don't want to talk about in front of others. Um, And one of the missions, one of my missions, one part of my mission is to end the secretive nature of sex assault. But I'm also, I am sober. And in, you know, exploring this theme, I have basically started talking very comfortably and open about my own experience with trying to get sober and failing a couple times and it's been a very long process for me too. I, I got sober the first time in 1991, which just so happened to be a year after my assault. So I basically was drinking like a normal teenager and then I got assaulted and then I went, I, I crashed really fast and I got sober before I even went to college. So. Wow. I know. Kind of right. crazy. And I, and it's funny cause I sit here laughing about it. This is just my life. I'm used yeah. to it. It's not like shocking or depressing to me. It just is who I am. And um, I feel like if I can talk a little bit lighter about these things, it what's happening is people are contacting me privately and saying, you know, I've, I've been having some issues with my drinking or I've, I've never had, um, I, I've never had any therapy for the sex assault. And I'm thinking maybe it's time. And I'm like, yes, to all of it. Yes. You know, try quitting drinking, try, try therapy everything you can do to make yourself have a better life you can't do a whole lot about the people who harmed you it really doesn't make sense to try to control them but Mm -hmm. you can work to fix your own life so let's do it well i think it's absolutely awesome and you know uh caitlin you know plenty of people are open books i think so far you're three Ah, thanks. I, I really love that as a compliment. I think that's an amazing yeah. thing to say to me. So thanks. Well, every every single one of these books that you've written so far is a, a portion of yourself that you're sort of like working through something. And it's almost like self-therapy, just, just writing these things. And I think it's just, you know, the most positive um, 
the most positive way, the outlet that I can think of is to create. So you're not tearing anything down. You're, you're building something up. You're fixing yourself and hopefully other people and, and just maybe not fixing, maybe just working through it, maybe just talking, maybe just, you know, let's, let's get it on out there. But it is, it is inspiring how easily you're able to talk about all this stuff, like you're saying. And I, I think it's just, uh, just amazing. I think you're cool as hell. And, uh, I really, Thank you for coming on the show and making our show a lot more real than we generally get. <laughs> um, so uh, thank well, you. You are that. welcome. I yeah. I, yeah I, authenticity is my brand. It's all I oh, have. Yeah. All I have is me and with my foibles and the troubles that I've experienced. That's all I got. So that's, that's plenty. That's awesome. Um, so if you're so we're coming on uh, up on an hour right now if you mm-hmm. want to do a reading uh we'd love to hear it great yeah, yeah. i'd love to so awesome. um i'm just gonna start with chapter one great perfect okay this night was make or break so when sin's husband nick asked what she wanted to drink she hit pause vodka took the edge off stress faster but wine was better for pacing as long as she had food a martini would do the trick Cosmo, please. Easy on the cranberry. Another decision done. She was so freaking tense from all of them. What to wear? How to rainproof her hair? Was an umbrella necessary? A tropical storm was headed toward Boston. Luckily, it had held off so far. There was so much riding on this event. Nick's first work function. This job would pay off their debt, but the bankruptcy had nearly derailed the offer. If not for a well-connected old family friend, they'd still be in Phoenix. Sin needed to make a good impression. To prevent spillage, she sipped her cosmopolitan before she moved. The effect was quick. Liquid courage could get her through anything. With head held high and shoulders back, Sin's butterflies died, drowned by Stoli. Now she joyfully joined Nick on his mission to schmooze the boss. All set? Clearly Nick was used to decisions being driven by his wife's anxiety. This awareness made Sin's shoulders lift. She took another sip. Yep. Snaking their way through the patio crowd, Nick towered over everyone. The celebratory banner that read Happy 20th Cambridge Savings slapped his head as it whipped and dipped in the wind. Eggplant clouds dotted the dark gray sky. When they entered the restaurant, a blast of AC hit them. It was good for Nick, who'd walked five blocks from the subway in August humidity, dressed in a button-down, but the breeze raised the hair on Sin's arms. She took another sip to warm her soul, and Nick nodded toward a man at the bar with his back to them. That's James, at the end. Approaching from behind, Nick put a hand on his boss's shoulder. James turned and Sin's smile dropped as his arm hit her hand, splashing the red drink on her. She looked down at the bodice of her white dress, holding the glass away from her chest. The boss apologized, and she gasped as his cologne hit her nose. Dracar Noir. His voice made her jaw drop. She gazed up, filled with dread, as he turned to grab napkins. His profile told her all she needed to know. His hooked nose, square jaw, and the beauty mark on his cheek brought her right back to the room where he had defiled her 20 years earlier. The world quit spinning. Nick's boss was no stranger. I'm really sorry, he said again, offering the napkins. 
She couldn't breathe. She couldn't speak, forgetting, forget accepting an apology. Her legs buckled. Nick stepped in to assist, steadying her arm and intercepting the napkins. He grinned at his boss as he said his favorite mea culpa. To err is human, to forgive is divine. He threw Sin a wide-eyed look that said, get it together. Both men waited for her to downplay the situation. But words wouldn't come, only heat like a sauna. She was a fish amid sharks. Was the entire room staring? She wanted to throw the rest of her drink in the boss's face like chum and run. But she was stuck, petrified by the memories of his rancid breath on her neck, the panting and banging, the pain as he stole her virginity at the age of 17. Nick handed her the napkins, and she focused on cleaning up. Out, damn spot. She cursed the juice that had ruined her dress. Nick fought hard for normalcy. This is my wife, Cynthia. She ignored James's offer for a handshake, and Nick glared at her. James is top broker in the state. Nice to meet you, she muttered through gritted teeth. Likewise, James replied. He didn't recognize her. It made Sin aware of the grays in her hair and her post-pregnancy physique. Shame draped over her like a muumuu. She wished she'd worn a less fitted dress. As small talk resumed, she listened but didn't participate. James said his young son was taking up golf. Every pore on his face exuded arrogance. Do you have kids? A two-year-old, Mac, Nick said. Sin's dress was wet with sweat. She shivered in the Arctic breeze. Where'd you end up moving? I know I mentioned Wellesley during the interview. James's question was obviously a test. We're staying in Brookline with Sin's parents, but we signed a lease in Davis Square. We want to take our time to decide where to buy. <laughs> Good cover. Their debt didn't allow for a mortgage. When Nick ended the conversation, using food as an excuse, the blood returned to Sin's face. As soon as they were out of James's vicinity, she told Nick she needed fresh air and rushed outside to the Faneuil Hall Plaza. A dreadlocked drummer banged on a bucket for money, and Sin's heart competed with the cadence. Looking up at the sky, she exhaled. The clouds had gone from purple to raven's wing, and the air weighed as much as her disgrace. Nick trailed after her. Babe, the stain is hardly noticeable. Don't get so worked up. I'm freaking out. Her eyes filled with tears. Let's get you food. You've only had booze. His tone sounded accusatory, like he suspected she'd had a drink or two before the party. I had one cocktail. That's not it. I'm having a panic attack. His face softened. What can I do? Nothing, Sin said. Nick had been quite the fighter when he was young. An arrest in college set him straight. She'd never seen that side of him, but didn't want to tempt fate by telling him his boss was her rapist. I'll go home. You stay. This event was too important for him to miss. His shoulders fell. No, I'll go with you. I'll be fine, Sin insisted. His forehead wrinkled. Okay. Experience had taught them both that no one could fix Sin's unease when it got this bad. I'll be home by 11. Call if you need me. Sin hurried toward the subway. Nearing the end of the outdoor mall, she stopped in her tracks. Her parents were babysitting Mac. She really needed to vent to a friend, and under the circumstances, she deserved a good buzz. Grabbing the cell from her clutch, she texted Sue, her best friend from high school. Hey, her fingers trembled. I know it's last minute, but can you meet me for a drink at Quincy Market? I was at a party for Nick's bank. You won't believe who I saw there. Lifting her thick brown hair off her neck, she closed her eyes, praying Sue would be up for a drink. The ding of a text gave her hope. 
Nice cliffhanger, Sue wrote. Meet me at the Black Rose. 15 minutes. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if the microphone's picking up the clapping. Ah, yes. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Good stuff. Um, really just pulling no punches from chapter one there. Um, this is I try to make it pretty clear what the story yeah, is going to touch on. So it. that, you know, I got a trigger warning, but it's not really necessary if you read the, the blurb in the first chapter. Right, right. No, you, you make it very clear what's going on here. And I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's no secrets. The, the characters might have some secret shame, but you, you have none. This is, this is, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. And I mean, that, that helps too, because that's, that's what is going to make certain people want to read. Yeah. So you want to let them know. It's definitely gotten excited. It's getting people excited. I'm doing an author talk in my hometown at the end of this month. This month is um, sexual assault awareness month. And I'm going to do a talk at the local library and a bunch of alumni will be there. I've got some teachers from Sudbury coming and I'm going to say his name unabashedly, his full name, make it real clear who he is. And this is his life sentence. You know, I brought it up in 2015. He probably thought it was over once it got swept under the rug. He thought it was over. And here it is again. I'm in his face again. And he'll never know when I'm going to do it again. And that's all I have. All right. I have is my truth telling. Right. But I, I'm pretty sure that it's it's giving him some discomfort. <laughs> well, I certainly hope so. Um, uh, please uh, give give more information on the on the talk that you're doing so people can actually go if if they if they're in the area. We do have a lot of Massachusetts listeners. Yes, so it's on um, Thursday, the 27th of April at 7 p.m. in Sudbury, Mass. There is a registration. It's a free event, but just because there's limited seating, I think there's about 20 seats left. But if you go to my um, Let's see, my link tree is actually where I have it listed right now on Instagram or on TikTok. I have a link tree. And at the very top, of when you enter, the, one of the first links is the registration to sign up for that event. It gives you all the details about where and when, too. So very cool. Very cool. Well, I hope uh, I hope that turnout is is awesome for that. Sounds like a really powerful event. And, um, and the fact that you're, I mean, you're going to say the guy's name. So yeah, screw him. Um, Caitlin, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the reading. Thank you for all the stories. Thank you for, you know, speaking your truth on our goofy little show that we have here. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's been, it's been very real. It's been fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your platform. I mean, that is everything to me right now. So it has been really wonderful. It's great talking to you. And yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been great talking to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's a small platform, but if uh, 40, 50, 100 people, you know, here, then I'm happy to help. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it is what it is. And this is your your, your books are so personal. I just, I just love it. I know I keep saying that, but I just love it. I love how much of yourself is in these and you, you, you pick these different as, aspects of yourself for the different books. You're not writing the same thing over and over. You're, you're doing different pieces. And uh, I, I, I think that's just the best possible way to work through stuff. Uh, I hope somebody out there thinks that's a good idea and, you know, maybe tries that out and helps them too. Um 
it saved my life. I mean, I owe yeah. writing so much. I mean, really, I mean, you know, cause my other alternative way of escaping my feelings was not so healthy. <laughs> so I've had, <laughs> had to find better options basically. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Nobody ends up in jail your way. You just, yeah, uh, exactly. Right. You just maybe sell some awesome books and maybe get some movies made out of them. Uh, down hey. the don't give up that. Don't give up that ghost. Oh, I'll years, keep working years. it. I'm trying to work at ah, the angle. <laughs> ah, it's fine. But uh, all right. Well, I will uh, thank you one more time. I'll get us out of here unless there's anything else you want to drop for where people can find you online. I'm, I'm just Caitlin Avery everywhere. So hey, Caitlin Avery author on TikTok, Instagram. I'm posting reels on almost on a daily basis right now. And again, I just try to be really authentic and in your face about, you know, the, the subject matter. So yeah, find me on, that's the same name as my website and you can follow my newsletter if you're interested. So yeah. Cool. And we'll have all of that. Uh, all, all those links uh, are going to be in the show notes as well. So you guys can just click on down, scroll on down and, uh, and click and sign up and follow and check out Caitlin at her live event coming up soon. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, this is, sexual assault awareness month in April. So we did kind of, it just was sort of serendipitous that, that you happen to be on for this, but we did mention that and I did want to bring that up. So thank you for, for not letting me forget that. Oh no. Um, yeah, of course. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, I will uh, get us out of here. Thanks to Caitlin Avery. Thank you so much. Retroids for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the brig. Oh, you know what? Before I forget, I should probably let you out of that, uh, that, that, sell down there that we got. Oh, yes, please. I have lots to get done this month. Okay, so let me just uh, let you out. You can go. Be free. Go be free. All right. Um, I'm out of here. (laughs) All right, guys. That wraps up the episode. So if you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as being part of the Inebriard Podcast Network. Retro Redoctopus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening, but you already knew that. Uh, you know what? Here's some shows. You should go listen to them, too. Uh, let's let's go with uh, this week. We'll say uh, Black and White Fright, Mostly Ghostly, Geek Life HQ, Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie, and wh- what's that noise? Well, you'll have to listen to the show to find out because I, I don't even know. There's just too many shows for me to listen to them all. But you guys, you guys should definitely try. There's over 30 on the Dorkening. You should definitely go check them out for more information or to subscribe to us or any of these great shows. Please visit thedorkening.com and be sure to check out our killer sponsor, Deadly Grounds Coffee, Coffee to Die For. I have been your host, Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Sampson. And it is indeed a sad thing that your adventures have ended here. Good night. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.